Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 107 with Meredith Grundy. I first became familiar with Meredith's work when I saw Beowulf, which was produced by the Catamounts. She's now directing me and the rest of the second-year MFA Contemporary Performance Program cohort in Under Construction by Charles Mee. We open this Friday, which is September 29th, and we run through October 8th. All the information is in the episode description. Please note, only 30 seats for each performance, and you must reserve via the Eventbrite link before attending. It's true. You gotta do it. And if you are part of the Neuropa community, if you're a student, faculty member, staff member, there is a discount code so that y'all get free tickets. They are $12 to the general public. If you need that discount code, feel free to hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, email. You can send me a text. Send me a carrier pigeon. So we talk all about under construction, Meredith's upcoming improvised year where she's packing her family in an RV and traveling all around. We also talk about Red Ball Speaks, which she is founder and CEO of. Lots of good, this episode is chock full of goodness, y'all. I Meredith is, I mean, she's incredible. She's I consider her. Uh, I'm lucky that she she is a mentor of mine, and she is also a theatrical Mustang of sorts. This episode is sponsored by Pan Focal Photography. If you've seen some of the publicity photos that are Norman Rockwell-esque, reminiscent of those Saturday Evening Post covers, those were taken by William Dibble of Pan Focal Photography. If you have an event, production, shoot, anything you need photography for, contact William at Pan Focal Photography. The link is in our episode description as well. All right, folks. Please enjoy episode 107 with Meredith Grundy. So I am pleased to welcome Meredith Grandi to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. We wanted to tell folks what time we're recording it. It's uh, 9.13 p.m. It's after 9:13. running our show two times in a row. So it's going to be a fun show, folks. Strap in. <laughs> enjoy the ride. Uh, we're working on a show called Under Construction by Charles Mee, which you are directing as part of the MFA Theater Contemporary Performance at Naropa University second year fall program. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> it was, it was indeed. How, how did this come to pass, Meredith? Wow, that's a, well. Uh, that you feel that you want to share <laughs> to our listeners. I was, was, Gary and I were approached as a, uh, a package deal by Naropa's MFA, wow, maybe six months ago. Yes. I, we heard rumblings, and I was really heard, excited. I was like, were, do that thing. Do, do that, that thing. thing. Do that thing. Bring and, Meredith in on this. And, uh, and then, and Gary and I had this trip planned, and we're like, oh, I would love to do that, but we have this trip planned. I would love to do that, but we have this trip planned, so let us know, let us know. And then finally, uh, in the last possible minute, we found out 
that we were going to be working with the MFA students, and that was lovely to be invited to work with the Naropa MFA Contemporary Performance Program because I I uh, I graduated. From I hear that. you're an alumni I am program. Alumni. Is that true? From 2007. <laughs> that. That is when I graduated my undergraduate degree. Well, there's seven. Well, see, oh, look at that. Full see? circle. Decade ago. <laughs> decade ago. Uh, so then the, the proposal I sent to them, which you have a class of predominantly females and one transgender person. Hey, that's me. That's you. <laughs> um, that I had to find a play that, that I felt would really tie in the unique qualities of, of your group and I feel like that we were successful in that. Did you what was your selection process for when you were or when you're reading what where do you find plays? Oh my gosh. I find a lot of plays from plays that uh, I've either been in before, playwrights that I really like, connections I have from cities I've lived in. I've lived in San Francisco and Chicago and I still have relationships with uh, people that I would collaborate in both of those cities with. And so that, I just get excited about looking for new work. I, I know Charles Mee has his website, which is lovely. You can get on his website and read all of his plays for free. Uh, and then, of course, you pay your royalties when you, mm-hmm. you want to produce one. Uh, and then Mark Jackson, who is uh, also a playwright and director from the Bay Area, also has all his scripts online, too, which is lovely. So... I was in conversations with Mark Jackson, and not so much with Charles Me. I don't know him, but uh, um, yeah, I just ended up picking a Chuck Me play, and also because he's uh, he is a part of the lineage too of what Naropa is about, and has worked, you know, obviously with City Company quite a bit, mm, and so yeah. that Suzuki and viewpoints training that is predominant here in the program. Uh, I just felt like it was a good fit. The vocabulary was in alignment with the vocabulary of the students here. How did you, I, I'm intrigued about this. How did you, because you knew, you had met some of us, uh-huh. had seen some of our work, and some folks, I'm guessing it was it was a picture and just sort of a sense, and you sort of were introduced to us by email from some of our other faculty. Yeah. How did you cast the show? <laughs> well, I had this. Just roll some dice. I roll, well, I had a decision to make because because we picked the play so um, for me I felt like it was really far along in the process in which I like to work and I knew that we were going to show up first day of your classes and hit the ground running right and we only really had five weeks and I was like well shit like I need to give these guys a break and I really wanted you to have the script in hand and know what you were doing before you got here I felt like I got to give them a heads up and say, hey, just start memorizing now so that you didn't feel overwhelmed with the process when we got here. Mm. So that was predominantly why I chose to precast. And then with the help of Effie and the help of Gary, who knew you guys better as students, I was able to kind of pick and choose who went where. Fits into what, yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's worked out pretty well. I think so. Yeah. And, and when you speak of Gary, you're talking about Gary Grundy, who's uh-huh. a happens to be your husband, is a music composition yes. faculty at yeah. Naropa. Mm-hmm. How how often do you two work together? Is it something that you look for those opportunities, or you're sort of grateful when they come along? Do you seek them out? I think I, it's grateful when they come along, and I think we're going to start seeking them out more because we actually collaborate very well together, and we're really good at inspiring each other. Yeah. That's excellent. Yes. 
I love, there's a deconstruction, I don't think this is a spoiler, but at the end, a deconstruction of my country, Tis of Thee, that is, I was like, oh, I, you know, I respect Gary a great deal. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And then coming in and hearing it, especially when it gets into more of a um, deconstruction and improvisation and the harmonies that sort of come out of it, it's an absolutely chilling and perfect way to end the piece, I think. Oh, um, it made me cry the first time I heard you guys do it. It made me cry. Well, if y'all, if y'all follow my social media, which I know a lot of you do, I wrote a piece that went live today, which is talking about how we're actually using my great-aunt Helen's flag, the flag that was given as a memorial at her funeral. And I got choked up the first time that we sort of put that all together. And I, 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 I sort of sing to her as we're sort of closing, closing that show, because she was uh, in the Marines back in the day. So why why should audiences come see the show, Meredith? What what why why under construction? Why Naropa? Why spend seventy minutes with us? <laughs> because well, I'll, because more people need to go see fucking theater. Amen. Right? Yeah. Amen. And then I also feel like Naropa has this really beautiful program with very talented students, and they, just like anyone else in this community, deserve to be seen. And I also feel that deep, this, this show, Under Construction, is very much about Americana. I feel like it is a reflection of what is today, even though a lot of it is inspired by the 1950s. It's actually quite dumbfounding to me how many things have not changed even though we want to think <laughs> they have changed Absolutely. or that we have uh, in some ways regressed from where we are now uh, well and I, I don't really think I need to go into details of um, how or why or who <laughs> it's like Voldemort <laughs> he shall not be named uh, so what's what I find really interesting about this show I did some research online as I was sort of writing up some publicity for it. Premiered at Humana Festival 2009. Mm -hmm. And when Charles Mee speaks about it, he says it's inspired by the Saturday Evening Post cartoons, not cartoons, the covers of the magazine that Norman Rockwell, Mm -hmm. so that classic sort of Americana warmth that you feel coming from that. But then the other part of inspiration came from an installation of art artists from Brooklyn that he saw earlier earlier on in the century and and juxtaposing those two worlds mm-hmm. and so I like to keep that in the back of my mind mm-hmm. that that was sort of his intention or where the place from which he was writing mm-hmm. and so when folks come uh why why they try to have only 30 people come a night because I think that's a sort of a sexy thing that folks maybe don't get to experience as theater audience audiences often right because I I want to keep the space feeling intentional I don't I want uh, the platforms that we have only seat 30 people and I I feel like it's a piece that they are very much a part of the piece as as the actors are a part of the piece and it's not immersive it's it's a, it's an experience, if you will. It, it's an experience that if you just packed a bunch of people and bodies, I don't think that they, the people sitting there would have that intimacy. Well said. So folks want, well, if folks want, when you're going to go get your tickets. <laughs> when you do get when your When you tickets, get your tickets. They're $12. There's $12, people. Come on. 
Uh, we'll have a link in the episode description. Uh, there's a link on the uh, Europa events page. There's also a Facebook group we've got going on. The show opens on Friday, September 29th and runs through Sunday, October 8th. All shows are at 7.30 and... It's kind of important for people to park by, like, 7.20, would you say? I would say you need to arrive and and be ready by 7.30. Yeah, park at 7.20. Come see yeah. us at 7.30. Come see us at 7.30. Don't be late. Don't be, don't be late. Don't be late. Don't be bolder late. <laughs> <laughs> Pshaw. I used to live on Whidbey Island, and we would call it island time. Yeah, island so don't, time. So don't be on island don't time. Don't be on island time. Don't be on boulder late. No. Uh, yeah. And so when you're coming, it's actually a lot of Naropa's uh, performances in the past have been at the Arapaho campus. Important to note, this is at Nalanda. I am an actor. Diction, diction, diction. Nalanda campus, which is about 65th in Arapaho, kind of by the Avalon Ballroom. And it's the back parking lot, but I'm not great with the directions, so I'm also told it's the north parking lot. So that's where folks are going to want to park. So come and check us out. 12 bucks. 12 bucks. Yeah, that's the equivalent of two Starbucks drinks. Or one cocktail at the bitter bar, mm-hmm. or two drinks at a dive bar. Just perspective, people. What, however you want to do the math, it just adds <laughs> up that you're coming to this fucking show. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Meredith, I hear you're uh, living in an RV right now. I am. And uh, can you tell me about how that came to be and, and uh, the trip you're taking this year? Well, let's call it a sabbatical of sorts. I love it. Sabbatical. It's a sabbatical of sorts. Uh, but we have a six-year-old daughter, and so she is in first grade. And we're like, well, hey, we are freelance artists and business people in this community, and so we can, we have this lovely freedom to be able to pick up, pack up, and move into a fucking RV <laughs> if we want to, which is lovely. So we have decided to take a trip for a year around the United States and and through Mexico where we will be seeing theater and visiting museums and getting inspiration from other amazing people and other amazing communities throughout this country. And It just struck me right now, it's sort of like a year-long artist's date. It is. In the artist's way, right? It is. It totally is. And uh, we're, we're going to have a website. Well, we do have a website called uh, This Improvised Year. Mm improvisedyear.com. So and if folks want to follow you in a non-creepy way. In a non-creepy wish way. Wish you well they, on your travels. Yeah. They can check out that blog. We've already put a few few blog entries up there. And uh, we're just going to have, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm going to post every week because I don't, I, I'm trying not to give myself you assignments. Enjoy the journey. <laughs> yes, enjoy of the course. Journey. Yeah, it would so. <laughs> defeat anyway. the purpose of sabbatical. It would be. Oh, man. Yeah. I'd really like to go out in the yeah. ocean today, but i got to write a 500 word blog post and maximize the yeah. SEO. Sorry, friends. And we're renting our house out and our apartment out on Airbnb and, and home away. So. Uh, if you need a place to stay. We can definitely link to that in the episode description. You should, man. You want the creative energy of Meredith and Gary Grundy, don't you? You want <laughs> that karma to to just, you yeah. know, I don't know, waft off on yeah. your skin. Again, <laughs> listeners, you know me. I forget this is an audio medium. I'm gesturing wildly, which you can't see. but I can. Please picture it. <laughs> please enjoy it thoroughly. How the heck, how the heck do you end up in Colorado living this very full creative life that definitely your 
you're someone who I aspire to live like. Aww. Can you sort of take me through, well, pretend I'm James Lifton. You're growing up. <laughs> you're a teenager. When did you first fall in love with theater? I have blue, oh hundreds God. of blue note cards here. You do? Yes. Um, I uh, was a dancer. for. I started off at the age of nine dancing because my friend Mona Meta down the street started taking jazz classes. I was like, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> so I'd show up to, cl- I'd, I'd take these dance classes and I loved it, loved it, loved it. And then I danced up through high school and I believe I was 16 years, no, I was 15 years old and I was in this dance recital at the Lincoln Center in Fort Collins, Colorado. And you can actually still see my picture on the wall. It's hilarious. I have really big fucking hair. Oh my gosh. And I um, was in this piece where I had to do this double turn and then land with my fists up and say, when I grow up, I want to be just like Wonder Woman. And that was the only text I had to say. Ah, I want to see this. And, and uh, this woman came up to me after the show who was a dance instructor, and I, rem- I don't remember her name, but I remember she was really tall and slender and gorgeous, and she had this black hair with it peppered with like this beautiful gray stringy. She was just this beautiful woman and dancer right. and instructor, and she's she asked me if I took acting classes, and I said no, and she said, well, are you an actor? And I said, well, no. She said, well, you should be because you have a beautiful presence on stage, and you're very you you speak very clearly, and I was like oh, well, maybe I should take some acting classes. And then I went and took acting classes, and my first teacher was Maury Evans, and I'm still in touch with him, and he was he's, was lovely and is lovely. Mm. And um, then I just kept doing it. And I just, and then my dad and my mom were like, you want a what? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good point. I had a similar story. Uh, for those of you who saw Gender Queer Cabaret, it was one of my, I hated doing the transitions in between songs and making them seem off the cuff. Uh, and Gary was like, lean into the awkwardness. You're feeling awkward? Lean into it. And so I, I sort of took that with a grain of salt. But similarly, when I was in middle school, I had someone, an accompanist, pulled my mother aside and said, get your kid in voice lessons. They have a very loud voice. Powerful. Powerful <laughs> voice. Uh, but never underestimate the, never underestimate the impact, you know, if you go see... I don't know, high school play or something, and, and telling telling a kid that you really enjoyed their performance, you could set them on a path, totally so to could. speak. You so totally where, where did you go for college, for undergrad? I went to undergrad at Fort Lewis College and at CSU. I was that girl whose parents were like, you want to go to school? You got to go in state. And gotcha. Like, okay. And then I, and I didn't, I wasn't really thinking about theater schools like I didn't even think like a conservatory was an option like that wasn't even in my you know I right just, just didn't know but I just did theater in both those schools and then I hightailed it to San Francisco right out of college I was like get me the fuck out of here I'm mm. gonna live in a city and so I did I lived in San Francisco for four years and then I lived in Chicago for about four years and did then, some work with Second City yes I was a, I taught for Second City for for through well actually taught for Second City for four years as well because I taught for them when they were here in Denver when they were running a review at the Galleria at the Denver Center how did you fall I mean fall into how did you become passionate about improv because to me that I was in a group called the hysterical Uh society Uh when I get it hysterical Uh society (laughs) when I was in middle school and we did a bunch of comedy sports games and it still to this day terrifies the shit out of me as an actor to improvise so how how did you sort of fall in love with it 
I have just, I, I did improv in college. I did a little bit in high school. I always have loved it. The first monologue I ever did, we had to write our own monologue, and I remember asking, that was in high school. No, that was junior high. And I asked the teacher if I could just get up and do it, and I had this purple jacket. I said, I have a purple jacket, and I think it would be really great for this character. Can I do it? And she said, sure. <laughs> and I did. And um, and then in high school, I remember there was this guy, Noah Besser, but like, someday we're going to be on Saturday Night Live. And then in and then I got into college, and I didn't. I did a little bit of improv in college, but more theater. And then in San Francisco, I met uh, my now ex-husband and his friend Ryan Goland, um, and I ended up in this sketch comedy group called Old Man McGinty, <laughs> and we performed a lot together, and and had a. Uh, it was just I had so much fucking fun, just so much fun creating these wacky sketches with like Salvador Dali and uh, who was a mystery crime solving detective (laughs) and and I was like a muskrat and then played his niece Jenny you know Mm -hmm. it was like Inspector Gadget meets Salvador Dali kind of I loved Inspector Gadget I did too and then um, and then from there, Ryan Goland moved to Chicago to study improv at ne- what's now I.O. It was mm. called Improv Olympic at the time. And uh, I was like, well, I, I, I want to come out and study improv. And so I convinced my new husband, like, let's move out to Chicago. And uh, started taking classes at I.O. I got an internship, so I sat right next to Sharna Halpern every week and was her intern in the office and I got to know a lot of people and had a great time and and performed and and then I was teaching kids a lot and uh, this other woman who was one of the core faculty of Second City was also teaching at it was called prologues prologue theater workshop I think is what it was called at the what was called the theater building at the time Mm. and uh, she's like would you like to we're starting a kids curriculum at Second City. Would you like to help start build that curriculum with us? And I was like, sure. So that's how I ended up teaching at Second City. I taught the very first kids class at Second City, which is now like huge. Their kids program is fucking huge. I remember because I, I looked at your CV when I was trying to make my CV. It's like one of, has now become one of their top grossing programs. Yes. And so um, started with you. Yeah, it did. I just. You know, I had a lot of curriculum from teaching kids, and I had an after-school program in San Francisco that I had started called Theater Monkey. That's how I made most of my living. And then, um, yeah, and then one thing led to the next, and then I was teaching the adults, and then I was blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, I really want more movement training, and I want to get a master's degree, and I was at a wedding at, in Door County, Wisconsin. <laughs> My uncle lives in Door County, Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I just saw Mary Wives Windsor, where a friend of mine got married right after performing in the show. Oh wow! And so we were there for his wedding, and then I was sitting at the volleyball volleyball courts the next day and talking to a friend, and she's like, "Do you know they just started this program in Europa? And you should check it out." And I did, and it was like the city company, and mm-hmm. it was it was this Kaufman, and I was like, "Well, fuck, I'm gonna apply because that sounds like." the best of all worlds that I want to be a part of and then I did and that's what brought me back to Boulder. You haven't left. (laughs) haven't fucking left. So that's the podcast. (laughs) Okay, and we're done. I just talked a lot. 
That's, that's the point of the podcast here. Oh, good. <laughs> it's for you to talk more than me. Not do if inter- I talk more than you, not do then I dance. lost the podcast. No one would see it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. So. Yeah. So. Midwest, my Midwestern is showing. So from, from your graduation in the MFA program, 2007, I know, because that's when yeah, I graduated ago. undergraduate. Luther yeah. College. Yeah. Mm-hmm, Luther. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've gone on to be a freelance actor, director, and then something that I think is real swell is that you're the founder and CEO of Red Ball Speaks, mm-hmm. which is a way to sort of supplement the more traditional theatrical stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did that come to be? How did, how did that... How did I'm gonna say the same damn thing again? How did that come to be? What What is the origin story of Red Ball Speaks? I'm getting in my film noir voice again because it's my favorite I fucking love thing. I love it. I love it. I started Red Ball Speaks because when I was living in Chicago, I worked for an executive coach who would who would hire me to teach improv to corporations, and I was a part of a team of about four of us that would do this often and I did it a couple times with Second City and there I think at the time it was called Bizco and um so when I moved here I was like well I can fucking do that on my own why don't I just start marketing myself on my own and it's turned I do some improv workshops now for corporations um some startups here and there um bigger corporations fortune 500s and it's turned into more public speaking and presentation skills coaching which i really love i love the one-on-one and i also love the group facilitation as well i do a little bit of that also through the denver center and um here in in denver and then uh oh what i wanted to say was the origin of of the name i am curious yeah came from Mike Enriquez, who's since passed away, uh, was a coach of mine in Chicago for an improv group that I was in, and he'd always have us do this game called Red Ball, and and so it was a it was an improv exercise that I actually really just loved, and I've I've altered it a little bit and kind of made it my own, but I liked the metaphor that if a red ball rolled into the room right now, we would all notice it, and I want my clients to stand out. In a crowd, just like a red ball would, and so that's why I named a red ball. That's the name. That's so. And I get people who are like, "Well, you mean Red Bull, Red Balls, Blue Balls?" No, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. Pull your head out of your ass. Maybe you shouldn't be my client. Mm. What? No, my clients haven't said that to me. It's just other smart ass people. As as it goes, right? In the world, I just want people to be clear. It's not named after blue balls it's red ball or red bull or red bull red ball speaks red ball 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 boing 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 boing, boing. <laughs> there's a bunch of there's a bunch of balls i get to throw in under construction too it's true. I like you'll have balls. to watch the whole show to find out so if folks want to find out more information about red ball speaks what's the website and they can go visit they can go to www.redballspeaks.com We'll have that in the episode description as well. I don't want you to sell all your secrets, but one of my, I would say my favorite class that we've had in grad school so far has been the business of theater. Oh, thanks. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a TA. (laughs) But I think it's really, it's, I think unfortunately in this industry, sometimes folks kind of hold their cards close to the vest. Mm -hmm. um, and, And they think that their success is at the risk of someone else. Hmm. Um, 
has to be at the expense of someone else not succeeding. And so I think it's been really, really powerful to have this conversation with the 10 of us in the room to sort of share our experiences and for you to sort of guide us into some of the more practical aspects of it. Can you tell me a little bit about putting the curriculum together and then maybe any any sort of snippets you're willing to share with our viewers, a lot of viewers, Jesus, listeners, a lot of whom... Interpretive dance, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> a lot of whom are, are uh, sort of emerging arts professionals. Yeah, I put the curriculum together thinking what what are the different paths that artists, especially people who choose to come to a program like Naropa's program, what what is it that they would want as tools when going out into the world to build their careers. And so I broke that down into, okay, well, headshot, resume, audition material, monologues, grant writing experience, listening to other professionals who are in the world of um, theater for social change or um, diversity in theater or the gender gap in theater or uh, all these different topics that right. that are swimming around in the world right now. Uh, so I'm putting panels together and bringing in other artists from the community who are brilliant, whose zone of brilliance is in those categories. Um, and also to help facilitate, okay, so you all have to do a thesis program or a thesis project in the program. What is it that you need to do to prepare for that if this was a project you were going to put on in the real world, right? The real world. Um, and uh, so that's how I kind of looked at the curriculum. So it's, it's um, and then also if those who want to do commercial, more commercial stuff, like what does a commercial resume look like compared to a theatrical resume? What does a CV, if you want to go into academia, look like? Uh, how do how does one write a letter of intent, an artist statement, for example? So giving you guys the tools so that you feel confident. So we can take over the world. Yes, so you can good. take over the world. Good, good. Yes, because we want our uh, and also the the more successful our students are, the more successful the program is. Right, it speaks to the merits of the program. Absolutely, yep. well said. Yep. So, as we sort of are getting to. The beginning of the tail end, uh, how of this podcast, not life or anything, just this podcast, <laughs> uh, how would you, if if you're going to leave our viewers, did it again, listeners, <laughs> with three bits of advice, maybe one for actors, one for directors, and then one for just arts multitasker, Swiss army knife kind of people, what are a couple tidbits you could throw our way? I'm starting with acting. Acting is number one. <clears throat> What's something that you wish that you would have known starting out as an actor? Oh, fuck. There's a lot. I wish I had taken more risk as a young actor. I wish that I was not... I, I wish... I shouldn't say was not. Uh, I, I wish I hadn't been so intimidated by certain people when I was younger. I wish I had just taken leaps of faith and contacted certain people and gotten in front of certain people when I was younger. That was one of the first challenges you threw to our group uh-huh. in the class was to contact someone. How did you phrase it? Someone who would uh, were afraid of or intimidated by? Reach uh, out to them? Uh, someone that if you thought about contacting them brought up fear or resistance. Right. And we had everyone from... 
folks reach out to everyone from Maria Abramovich to Judith Butler. And mm-hmm. so we we went big. Some mm-hmm. of us. We went, <laughs> we went big with it. So. Yeah, because why not? Right? The worst thing someone can do is they can ignore you or they can be like a little An mean asshole. to you. And, yeah. and that's that's all you lose. Yep. Okay. Yep. Take more risks. Take more risks. Gotcha. Taking notes of the Meredith Grenda curriculum for life. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, for... Because you also direct. The first time I experienced your work was Beowulf with the Catamounts, which I fucking loved. Uh, for directors who... Do, do you, did You started as an actor and then got into directing? Yeah. You want to hear something funny, though? I would love to hear something funny. Okay. So when I was in undergrad at CSU, in my exit interview, I really just wanted to be an actor and a dancer. And I'm in my exit interview with my mentor and she said I think that the path you should take is directing and I remember sitting there like what (laughs) (laughs) what no you no I'm not gonna be a director what the fuck like that was (laughs) was the first reaction I had at the ripe age of what 23 I had no. no. Yeah. And then I found out the more I did theater that I had really strong opinions. And if one is a director, <laughs> one can make others bend to your opinions. <laughs> so it was a good fit. It was a good fit. I just have a very strong aesthetic and I I I just got really excited about. I I think my other if I could start another career would be that of a of like a set designer or more of like a consultant because I'm not like a design but like I, I just get I just get really excited about you know I grew up with an interior designer as a mother so I feel like I get excited about like creating color the world. Yeah. And creating the world and in keeping things simple like Robert Wilson I just absolutely think is an amazing director and artist creator and so I aspire to to get to combine all those skill sets. It's a great segue into our, our final little bit here. So for those, because I remember, I wouldn't say it was my exit interview, but my academic advisor in undergrad, I was like, Jeff, you actually have to advise, because you know me, like I was, fu- he didn't need to advise me. Like I, I, I was doing all the work. I was, I was doing the things and I'm like, but Jeff, you're my advisor. You have to actually give me some advice. And his piece of advice was, the hardest thing that you're going to have is choosing which path to go down because you're good at so many things. And I say that without ego, but I say that and sort of tying into, and I think it's a lovely tie into sort of wend our way back to under construction. But I have a monologue where it talks about in my 20s, it seemed to be essential to focus my attention on one thing. Uh-huh. And then now that I'm older, it seems natural to open out into everything I possibly can do. Do you think artists fall into that trap of they have to be, like, the brand has to be the one thing? Their cult, our culture puts us in that trap. Mm. I think the, the American capitalist culture puts us in that trap. I think you, like, when I, I would not tell people when I was trying to get corporate clients that I was also an actor. Really? Yeah, because the, the people that I did share that with, like, they didn't know what to do. So they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know what kind of questions to ask me. They didn't know it just it just caused this awkwardness this this tension and this awkward space between mm. us and i so the, i started like i struggled with that i struggled with how do i brand myself because i am more than one thing and i think most people in this country are more than one thing it's just that we're kind of taught to be like 
you are a teacher, you are a biochemist, you are a right. you are a lawyer, you are a and I think that I mean I the more I open myself up now, I my clients are like oh my god well I play guitar or I acted in high school or I so I've gotten more comfortable with it I know how to frame it differently now and. I don't know if I'm answering your question. I, I think, think I'm kind of going I off. I haven't asked the question yet. Oh, you so haven't? Thank you. Okay. Uh, so how do now we, and so now I'm reframing the question. <laughs> so how do we, so as your last bit of advice before we sign off here, how does one move through the world that wants to name you as one thing, as many things, as an artist? Parting blows, Meredith. <laughs> how does one move through the world? You do, one moves through the world by doing many things, by doing them with integrity and being super truthful about who you are and what you're putting out into the world and and finding that community that supports you and supports you as a whole person and and doesn't need to just label you as one thing or another thing but sees the value in everything that you bring such a great like hallmark card beautiful <laughs> tumblr post instagram everything <laughs> Thank you. And that brings us back that you want to support both of us because you've loved this interview so much. So you're going to jump onto our episode description. You're going to get your $12 fucking tickets for Under Construction by Charles mm-hmm. B. Playing September 29th through October 8th at Nairobi University's Nalanda Campus. Meredith, thank you so much for thank sitting down you. and talking with me. Thank you. Good night, y'all.